Good morning, Winter Park. It's 11 a.m. on a Wednesday, and now's the time to talk about true crime. If you're sensitive to dark topics, this is a trigger warning, so change the channel if you want, but if you are here to stay, I invite you to a good old cup of joe. I'm M. And I'm M. And this is Death Before Decaf. Now, what kind of coffee are we having today? I actually haven't had any coffee today, unfortunately. Yeah. I had a 9 a.m. class, I, so yeah, I'm kind of dying right now. I have Monster, so. Yeah, I'm that probably going to get something after this. Yeah. So, currently drinking water. Everyone drink your water today. Everybody drink your water. Good for the skin. Yes, now, good for the soul, I guess. Yeah. Now, since today's our very first episode on true crime, I'm going to be telling you guys about a crime that hits home. Not figuratively. Should we talk about... Should we talk... We're talking about Hellcrafts. Zodiac Killer. Zodiac... Oh, yeah. No, this is big news. Zodiac Killer has been identified. Woo-woo. All right. His name is... Gary Post. Gary, Gary Francis, Francis Post. Post. He is a Gaga stan, um, avid <laughs> album reviewer. Aren't we all Gaga stans? Uh, yeah. um, can't tell if I stan him or hate him, you know? Honestly. Yeah, he's kind of like that fictional villain that you have a love-hate relationship yeah. with. I mean, like, he literally killed people, but... Yeah, like, he was, like, a serial killer. But he, also, like, yeah, he, he wrote reviews about Lady Gaga. You know, how bad he was He was hidden in plain sight. He really was. He died, like... Five years Three ago. Three years ago. Was it 2018 or 2015? Yeah, 2018. Okay. Yeah, so he probably saw the movie about him. I was what probably like, this yeah. is accurate, this is inaccurate. Yeah, I think it's funny. It really shouldn't be, but it's funny to me. Because, know. you know, the, like, review of Lady Gaga's album, and he was like, she killed it, just like me, or something like that. Yes. I was like, oh, my God. That, oh, my God. He was giving himself away and just. Yes, and his friend posted, like, a Facebook post with him, and it was something about, like, my friend Zodiac, and, like, it was oh literally him, God. and I was like, he's literally in plain sight. Do and you remember him. Um, back a few years ago of these memes where Ted Cruz was yes. the Zodiac killer? Did you see the SNL episode this week? And I it, didn't. The cold open was funny. There was, like, um, like a Ted Cruz, like, character, I guess, they were, like, playing him, and he was the, like, Facebook, and he was like, how do I get Facebook taken down? People are saying Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer. You know, because they were like, you need to take down Finstas, which is, like, so stupid. Oh, my God, the Finstas thing? They were, like, making fun of that, and it was just Ted Cruz talking about how people were mean to him, and they need to get it taken yeah. down. I ju- it just came in the mail today. I impulse bought a sticker with Ted Cruz's face on it, captioned, this man this ate man my, ate my son. son. Yeah. I love those. Uh, yeah. In high school, someone made a sticker of one of our teachers that no one really liked, and it was his face, and it said, this man ain't my son. And yeah. I, think I just funny. ordered that sticker. I got a new phone, so I'm going to put it in my phone oh. case. ASMR. No? Okay. Should we get into the story? Let's get into it. So okay. This one took place in the humble town of Newtown, Connecticut, right next to the town of Southbury, where yours truly was born and raised. I learned about this one in my forensics class last year, and I cannot believe it happened so close to my home. Okay, so, Hal Nielsen, a young flight attendant, married Richard Crafts in 1979. Now, Richard was totally disloyal, cheated on her multiple occasions. He was a total a-hole, to say the least. Not sure why Hal married him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well... Well, can you guys even hear that? Probably not, but we'll see. Seven years later, Hell disappeared without a trace and was never seen again. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I have Vine Boom sound effect in parentheses. Okay. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
Okay, like, you know what's going on right now. Yes. Richard Kraft made multiple excuses for saying that Hell was visiting her mother, a valid excuse with Hell's mother living in Denmark, then another story of her vacationing with friends, or simply saying that he had no idea where she was. Honestly, the last excuse is actually valid because she's a flight attendant. You know, if she wasn't, things would be a lot different. Yeah. So, you know, Richard was Richard was a terrible person. First suspect, obviously. Uh, before Hell disappeared, she did tell her friends that, and I quote, if something happens to me, don't think it was an accident. Red, yeah, red flags. So many red flags. Yeah, I, like, yeah. Mm, I would be like, girl, get out of there. Mm-hmm. Like, do you need this? Oh, no, we gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go? I, I feel terribly for her that it was too late for her to leave him. He got to her before she had the chance. The year okay. is 1986. Hell Crafts is nowhere to be seen. I don't want to miss this important detail about an important person. Before Hell's disappearance, she hired a private investigator <gasps> by the name of Keith Mayo to Mayo. gather evidence. We love you, Keith. Yes. Keith Mayo to gather evidence of Richard committing adultery with another flight attendant. Another flight attendant? Seems like, can you be more type. obvious? He has yeah. A, he, yeah, he has a type. Mayo fought tooth and nail to get the Newtown police to investigate him, but they wouldn't budge due to the fact that Richard himself was a volunteer at the police department and worked part-time at the Southbury Police Department. Of course he was. I'm from Southbury, by the way. Did I say that? Yeah, I already said that. (laughs) Well, this one time, when I was in the second grade, our (laughs) class took a field trip to the police station. We got to tour the basement level, and the whole class begged the chaperoning officer to lock us in a cell. Oh, my God. To which he obliged. Oh, my God. Why did he say yes? I don't Because we were all chanting, lock us in, lock <laughs> us in. That makes it even better. Yeah. The, mo- it's probably one like of my these kids are vivid childhood weird. memories. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I just think it's chilling to think that a cold-blooded killer would have the authority to do that to someone who was in custody of a lesser crime. Y- even just yeah. that cell in particular. Like, just imagine that. Yeah. Makes me wonder. But I digress. Like, that man probably yeah. stood in there. Uh, yeah, honestly. Ugh. Richard and Hell had children. Um, yeah, and that December, he took them on vacation to Florida. Oh, my God. Here? Yeah. Florida? That, that hits so close to home. My family... We're currently in Florida, Yeah, my family normally goes to Palm Beach County every winter to visit my grandparents. Honestly, like, it's terrifying how many ties this case has to my own life. Do you know how old the kids were? Just curiosity. Um, I don't know. Okay. In my research, um, never said, but um, understandable. Though. She disappeared seven years after they, their marriage, so like they were young for sure. Yeah. Um, well, Keith Mayo finally got the state police to conduct an investigation of the Crafts' home while they were away. With what they found in there, Richard remained the prime suspect without a shadow of a doubt. State yeah. troopers came across missing patches of carpet. One patch previously showing a mysterious stain. Mysterious. As accounted by the family's nanny, yeah. They then um, traced Richard's purchase history, where they found he had bought a freezer, new bedding, to which there was a blood stain on the old one. Ugh. And, oh, here's the most important part, a wood chipper. A wood chipper. We know where this is going. We know where the, yeah. Richard did not work with lumber. He worked with law. I mean, clearly not for long. Uh, yeah. Investigators reached Lake Zor, um, that runs through Southbury and Newtown, where they discovered a chainsaw 
covered in blood and blonde hair, the same color as the victim, Hal. Gross. The blood was found to be type O. Again, me too. Uh, me three. <laughs> Again, same blood type as Hal. When it comes to such an important investigation, one can't simply come to a conclusion by making an assumption. There's a saying um, my mother would repeat to me a bajillion times that goes, if you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, to determine individual evidence, the hair follicle has to be present mm. to, you know, trace back that DNA to identify the victim. Um, you know, if the follicle isn't present, it's just class evidence, so you can't really know for sure. Um, so, you know, if the hair root is present, that means the hair had to have been pulled out of Hell's head. So, you know where this is going. Some, there was, yeah. you know, there was... So they had the root or not? It. I mean, like... I, I do believe it did. Okay. Um, it had to have to, yeah. you know, get yeah. that individual evidence. Um, and by that chainsaw, by Lake Zor, um, there was a truck um, with a wood chipper found that was attached to it. Um, there were, you know, at the investigation, there were many little pieces of evidence like metal... Um, a fingernail, you know, a lot of human tissue, a tooth. Tooth. One of her teeth. Were they able to do, like, dental record matching? I I do believe that's what I learned in my forensics class. I think I was in, like, my anthropology unit. Um, You know, I researched the wiki, a few websites, and I watched the Forensic Files episode. Yes. I I, you know, I used to love forensic files, but then it's when so I good. then when I had to watch it for my forensics class, it felt like a chore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, editors code. Yeah, but the story the story they determined is, um, the story that they all put together is that um, Richard murdered Hell with blunt force trauma to the head. Um, froze her body. You know, froze her body until it was solid. So you can chop it up. Mm -hmm. So um, he used the chainsaw to um, dismember her body and threw her parts in the wood chipper where her parts were found, you know, all over and underwater of Lake Zor. So um, on January 13th of 1987, Richard Crafts was arrested and charged with the murder of Hell Crafts. And I think... The most disturbing ending to the story is that today, Richard is a free man. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I think he's in, like, an elder home. I think he's in his late 80s. Ew. But he is a free man. There that is, is so gross. There is a cold-blooded killer walking among us, and what? that is terrifying. Yeah, what was his, like, sentence? How was he able to get out? Sentence. If you don't know, that's not good, but, like, I feel like he should have... 50. Like, 50 years. That's literally insane. Yeah. But, see, 1987 was not 50 years ago. Yeah, no, he must have gotten out on parole, which... Or, like, good behavior or something. Yeah, which is insane. He literally murdered his wife in cold blood. I know. Did he ever give, like, a motive besides just, like, being a butthole? I... We aren't allowed to swear, so that's kind of cringy. Sorry. I never came across any motive. Um, I think he, you know... I think he was just crazy. Yeah. 
crazy, like, you know, he tended to have, like, a temper, I think, you know, hell suffered abuse from yeah. him. And, like, cheating with another flight attendant. He's really like, mm, I don't want you anymore with this other flight attendant. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted an excuse to say, like, she disappeared and never came back or something, so I get to be with somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's my guess, but, you know, yeah, I guess it's up to anything. Those poor kids. I know. Yeah, I wonder where they are now. Yeah, I wonder what that would like do to you, like your mother or your father killed your mother. Yeah, and I'm sure they were pretty young. So yeah, they must have been at a very young age. So you know, yeah. hopefully that's not like a core memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I think it's tragic that it I didn't get to know hell very well. Yeah, awful. But you know, that is the story. Um, we're, we're somewhere around our half hour mark. We're um, 13 minutes. 13? Oh. Well, that's longer than I rehearsed last time, so. Yes. My story's pretty long. We'll okay. see how long it is, actually. But, so, mine is the Girl Scout murders of Oklahoma, where I'm from. So, trigger warning, children, like, gross, rape, you know, just awfulness. Yeah, this this is probably, like... Yeah, this just, like, isn't yeah. a good story, you know? None of them are, but this one's, like, extra, like, distressing. Mm-hmm. So, trigger warning. So, this story takes place in Locust Grove, which is a really small town of, like, 1,500 people. It's, like, right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, like, 50 miles. You know, just little town in Oklahoma. So, that would be, like, three hours away from where I lived. And this was in the 70s, so... On the morning of June 12, 1977, 130 Girl Scouts arrived to the Tulsa Girl Scouts headquarters to be chartered away to a two-week-long sleepaway camp. So, the sleepaway camp took place at Camp Scott, which was, like, operated by the Girl Scouts, like, organization, and it was on 410 acres of just, like, dense, dark woods. Oh, man. So, while they were, you know, getting on their buses and everything... This 15-year-old counselor named Michelle Hoffman, she immediately, like, noticed one of these girls. She was just, like, drawn to her. She was the only black girl that was attending this camp. Like, out of how many of them? Like, 130 girls, she was the only one. So, mm-hmm. Michelle Hoffman was just like, you know, I just want to help this girl, you know. Yeah. And that girl was 10-year-old Denise Milner. So... This was Denise's first time at Camp Scott, and she was really nervous. She wasn't nervous about the camp. She was just, you know, having separation anxiety from her mom. You know, she didn't want to be away from her family. Yeah, I get it. And I so, that. yeah, I never went to sleepaway camp because I was too afraid to be away from my mom. Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle, like, took Denise under her wing and you know, she was like, everything's going to be okay. We're going to have such a great time. And, you know, Ma- Denise's mom was worried, too. She was like, you know, um, like, my daughter's, like, nervous, you know, just, like, help her. And they were like, yeah, okay. And so Michelle or Denise was just like, I don't want to go. And her mom was like, well, you got to. And so they agreed that in the morning, if Denise still wanted to go home, she would call her mom, and her mom could come and pick her up. So... The Girl Scouts arrived to Camp Scott between 3.30 and 4.30 that day, and each camper was assigned to their camps based on their age. So there's, like, different camps that had probably, like, 
between like eight and ten tenths and so Denise was 10, so she was assigned to, like, the youngest camp, which was Camp Kiawa. Each of them was named after, like, a native tribe because we're in Oklahoma, and this was the 70s, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she was in Tent 8, which... So her camp was arranged in a horseshoe, and so the counselor was on one end, and Camp 8, or Tent 8, was on the other end. So she was farthest away from the counselor, but she was closest to, like, the kitchen and the bathroom. So two other girls were also in tent eight. It was Lori Farmer, who was eight years old, and Michelle Hughes, who was nine years old. I hope I'm saying her last name right. I didn't find any, like, you know. That sounds... It's G-U-S-E. So I think Hughes. Yeah. Uh, it's Hughes. <laughs> so uh, that night, you know, they did all the typical camp stuff, you know, singing songs and making friends. And the three girls became, like, good friends that night. And then it started to storm, like it does in Oklahoma. And so everyone, like, went into their tents. They just, you know, braved the storm. And then they all went to sleep at about 10.30. So here's where it gets bad. So the next morning at 6 a.m., the camp counselor, Carla White, walked the trail to the bathroom, passing tent 8. On her way home, on her way, not home, on her way to the bathroom, she saw three sleeping bags at the base of a tree. On top of one of those sleeping bags was the naked body of Denise. Yeah, it's not good. So Carla ran to get the camp director and the nurse, and she was just like, something bad has happened. I need you guys. I need help. And so when they returned, they discovered that the bodies of Lori and Michelle were inside of the other two sleeping bags. So Denise was on top of her sleeping bag so they immediately saw her and then they noticed that Lori and Michelle were also there so at seven this was at s- around six in the morning so at 7 30 in the morning law enforcement arrived mm-hmm. um they saw that all three of the girls were bound and gagged with tape and rope and the autopsy showed that Lori and Michelle both died from blunt force trauma to the head and Denise died from strangulation after suffering blunt force trauma, which did not kill her. So they assumed, like, he hit her on the head. She didn't die, so he had to strangle her. You know, that yeah. disgustingness. So yeah, I can't imagine what kind of person would do that. I know. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> this case is technically unsolved, oh by God. the way. So they also saw that all three girls were sexually assaulted. Two of them were raped and one was sodomized, but they never released, like, which one was which, if that makes sense. So the police entered cabin A. It was just, like, covered in blood. The floor was, like, pooling in it. It was on their cots and their pillows and just awful. Like, the you hear, like, interviews from the police officers that did that, and they were like, it just sticks with you. Like, you can't ever get over that. Like, I'm not someone who's sensitive to gore, but, like, mm-hmm. if, like... Like, three children are the victim, and that makes me want to throw hands. Yes. It makes me want to throw hands and throw up. Yes. Like, you know, this was 40 years ago, so they've done a lot of stuff, you know, just, like, commemorating. Mm-hmm. Just, just like, gruesome murder. And they've talked to a lot of the, like, law enforcement and just people that were there during that time, and they are all just, like, it was awful. You know, like, I am still having trauma about it, like, to this day. And yeah. it's just, you know, you can never get over that. So... Um, at 10 a.m., this on June 13th, which was, you know, the morning after they got there, the Girl Scouts 
were shuttled away, like, from the camp so that they could be, like, reunited with their families. Mm -hmm. And they didn't tell the girls what was happening. Obviously, they were just like, okay, we're sending you home. And so then Camp Scott was closed forever after that. So the police searched the woods over and over. They conducted hundreds of interviews. You know, they just didn't have a suspect. Like, who would do this? It's in the middle of the woods at a Girl Scouts camp. Like, who could have done this? It took them 10 days to have a suspect. Wow. And this suspect was Gene Leroy Hart. He was a... He was convicted for abducting and raping two pregnant women and on four counts of first-degree burglary. Mm. So how could he do this if he was in prison, you ask? Well, he escaped. He was, when this was occurring, he was escaped from prison on his second ex- escape. Oh, God. Like, he had escaped once before, and this was his second escape. And, like, they didn't know where he was. So they were like, it's, you know. And so he, his, like, prison sentence was over 300 years. It's like he was never getting out. And so the DA, when they announced the suspect, they were like, they didn't say why they believed that it was him, but they were like, that they found items that linked him to the crime. And they were like, this is our suspect. Mm-hmm. And so this like made people mad for some reason. I mean, I know the reason. So they were like, the sheriff, you just like, he just had a grudge against him because he escaped from prison and you're just angry that he escaped, like, blah, blah, blah stupid and then like other people believed that they targeted him because he was native he was Cherokee he was Native American and so like there's a quote from this man's mom and she was like yeah they're just doing this because he don't like Indians like that's like the literal quote I don't that has nothing to do with it yes like he has literally escaped from prison for raping two pregnant women and you're like "Mm, he just doesn't like Native people it's like Okay. He doesn't like rapists. Literally, like, I don't like rapists. Hello? No one does. Anyway, this led to the largest manhunt in Oklahoma history. This lasted 10 months. They were looking for this man. 10 months. Like, insane. So, on April 6th, 1978, they found him in the shack that belonged to, like, a traditional Cherokee medicine man. I don't know if that's, like, the correct term, but everywhere I read said that, so I apologize if that's, like, an insensitive term, but I don't know what else to use. So this man's name was Sam Pigeon, and then, so this man and another member of the, like, society of, like, medicine men that he was a part of were, like, charged with aiding Hart in his, like, escape and hiding. Oh. So... They caught him, and they were like, so the whole time they were searching for him, they were like, oh, he's going to be, like, skinny and, like, strong because, you know, you have to, like, navigate these, like, 410 acres of woods, and then they found him, and he was, like, fat and sassy, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were like, hello, and it was like, they said it was really, like, underwhelming. He just kind of, like, left with them. It wasn't, you know, it was just like, you've searched for this man for 10 months, and he's not what you expected, and also he's just, like, chillin kind of like the zodiac killer yeah yeah just chillin yeah and so they like arrested him blah 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 his trial started in march of 1979 so he pleaded not guilty boo so yeah the first thing that he said to his attorney he was like one thing that you need to know is i did not kill those girls 
And so his, like, attorney was like, I believe you. Which, like, mm, okay. So. Well, I mean, of course. he. Ha- I mean, he has yeah. to because he's, you know, the he's defense attorney. Yeah. He's literally, like, this is his job. Even if he didn't believe it, he would have to say. Yeah. In, like, interviews, um, the Tulsa World did a whole, which is the Tulsa, like, newspaper. They did a whole, like, series on this a couple years ago on the 40th anniversary and they did an interview with him and they were like i believed him like he was just so like convinced i believed him and i'm like it doesn't matter how convinced he is you know they have like evidence well i don't know you know it's just kind of like how much do you believe him yeah yeah anyways so support was he sentenced or no we'll get there all right. This trial is a roller coaster. So, the support for Hart just like increased during the pre- preliminary hearing. So, this preliminary hearing became the longest in state history. It lasted like a month, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And so, people were just like in support of this man for they were like shit, they didn't kill him, blah blah blah. Which, like, okay, even if he didn't do it, he still kidnapped and raped two pregnant women. Like, why are you guys supporting him? Yeah. Just, like, absolutely disgusting. But, you know, people, like, raised money to, like, for his defense. That's pointless. Yeah. Pointless and terrible. Like, it, yeah, literally. Whether he, ki- whether he killed those girls or not. He's going back to sh- jail. You shouldn't be defending someone. Yes. He, he should be defending a rapist. Yes. And also, like, you know, his sentence was 300 years. If he's guilty or not guilty, he's going back to prison. Yeah. So it doesn't, you know, like, everyone, they need justice, obviously. But, like, yeah, it doesn't matter if Guilty or not, yeah. he should be in there. Yeah, he's never getting out unless he escapes again, which I don't know how they let him escape twice, but that's another story. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people raised money, and they did, like, a hog fry dinner, and, like... People were wearing T-shirts that were like, stop the Mays County Railroad. This is in Mays County. And, you know, they believe that he was being railroaded, that they were just, like, building a false case against him, which, like, okay. (laughs) You know, like, hello. But so the Cherokee Nation Tribal Council donated $12,500 to his defense. Yes, the Cherokee Nation. That tribe sucks. Yeah, and they were like, okay, well, uh, we donated this money, but we aren't taking a position. Like, we don't know if he's guilty or not guilty, but we just want a fair trial. And it's like, well, you're kind of taking a side here. Yeah. They're, they, like, really, like, made a, you know, statement. They were like, we just want a fair trial. But it's like, if you're donating, like, over $12,000, you're, like, hello? You're taking a hello? side to the, de- like, if you're donating to the defense, then how are you not taking a side? Exactly. Exactly. I no, we the law is just so confusing. Yes, especially in like the seventies, it was just like a party, All I guess. Over the place. Yeah. So, on March fifth, twenty-one months after the murders happened, the trial began. It's that long. That so, time. the like prosecution's case centered on two types of evidence. So there was the biological evidence, and then just like physical evidence you know like objects 
So the biological evidence was hair and sperm that was found on the girls. And this is the 70s. They hadn't had any DNA testing. Like, it wasn't, like, invented yet. Oh, okay. So this is all, like, circumstantial. So there was hair and sperm that were found on the girls, and an expert witness testified that it was linked to heart. But, like, how much can you link that when you don't have DNA testing, you know? So that wasn't exactly, like, a hard case. It was just kind of, like, we think it's him, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the physical items that were linked to heart were found in a cave three miles away from Camp Scott. These items were a pair of sunglasses that were stolen from a camp counselor, a roll of tape that matched tape found on the girls, and photos that were linked to heart. Because in prison, he worked in the photo lab, so these photos were, like, linked to him. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just burped. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Don't worry. Okay. So, the crime scene, there were no fingerprints. And although they believed that the semen was linked to heart, DNA testing had not been invented yet. So, like, nothing was conclusive. There was no fingerprints. You know, just, like, these, like, items that they were, like, okay, I think it's him. You know? So, it wasn't really a solid case. But mm-hmm. what else are you, you know? Like, it was just not a great case against him. And then... The whole strategy of the defense was just, like, to question the validity of the case. They were, like, you're trying to convict an innocent man. You know, this evidence was planted. It doesn't have anything to do with him. Just all that BS. And so the trial was just literally insane. You know, there were outbursts between the defense, the prosecution, and the judge. They were just, like, all fighting. Um like, they were all reprimanded, not all, not the judge wasn't reprimanded. The judge reprimanded the prosecution and defense because they were just, like, yelling at each other, and they were just, like, calling each other names. Oh, and fun. one of them even was like, do you want to go outside? Do you want to fight? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. they were, like, their tempers were so high, which, like, understandable, but, you know, chill out. We're in trial here. Yeah. So, this trial was obviously very hard for families Mm -hmm. so uh, during the trial people would come up to them on the street and just like yell at them like heart didn't kill your daughter just awful that's absolutely awful awful. Mm -hmm. and you know they would say like you know you'd go into a business and they would have a jar collecting funds for heart which if you like haven't realized heart is the guy's name that that is so tragic yeah families like that god that should make them like it did you know it's just awful i feel so awful for these families but we're getting there yeah so the he stayed silent throughout his entire case except for one like event one occurrence and that was just after the jury selection and he did a news conference so they weren't allowed to ask anything about the case so it wasn't really like anything big but the whole point of this was to just like humanize him and so, uh, you know, he, like, described himself as a religious family man. And everyone was like, oh, wow, you know, he could never do this. You know, just gross. So. Everybody's just ignoring his criminal record. Yes. Like, if this was, like, his only thing that he's ever done, you know, okay, like, sure, this is, like, at least a little bit valid. Not completely, obviously, but it's still gross. But, like, he is three. His sentence is over 300 years like he's obviously done some awful stuff Mm -hmm. so like even if he didn't do this you should in no way be supporting him yeah and so 
Ten days after the arguments began, the closing arguments concluded. After seven and a half hours, the jury reached a conclusion. He was not guilty My God. on all three counts. My God! Yeah. So this is why this case is technically unsolved. It's like, hello? Hello. Not guilty. If I had the upper body strength, I would flip this table. Oh, same. Just like stomp around, honestly. When I was reading this, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you serious? Seriously. Are you serious? And after the first, you know, not guilty, the courtroom cheered. Second not guilty, cheered a little more. Third not guilty, like a baseball game. Cheering. Like... How insane are you to cheer about this? Like, it's just absolutely absurd. Like, I cannot wrap my mind around this. Yeah. Okay. So, later, a member, like, some members of the jury have, like, spoken out, and they said that they reached a decision after five minutes. It's just like, hello? Hello? And... They were just like there are too many loose ends. Like they don't. They they were shocked about how little evidence they had against him, and they were just like, uh, the we don't. Photos. The photos gave. Honestly, I feel like the photos gave it away for me. The yeah. Photos next to the tape. Yeah. Like I don't know. It never said like what the photos were. Like if they had him in it, but they were just like, yeah, it's linked to him. So I don't know if they like know that they're from this photo lab, or they were just like photos, and they're like, oh, he worked in a photo lab. It must be him. You know. Yeah. So, it, it was a lot harder to collect evidence. Yeah, um, definitely. But you know whether he did it or not, this is still absolutely disgusting. I just can't stand that they defended a person like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like the families of the girls were in like the courtroom, and then they just hear this cheering around them that this man that they think killed their daughters is not guilty, and people are just cheering, and I it's just like so bad. it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and you know they. Jury was like, we don't know if he's guilty or not guilty, but this case just doesn't hold up. And so they're just like, he's not guilty because this is not a good case, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, I guess, technically, should be considered a cold case, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they're still kind of working on it. It's, like, open. Mm-hmm. But, so, you know, the just obviously just so awful for the families and... So Lori's mother remembers, like, going to Lori's grave after the court case, and she was just like, I'm so sorry we failed. Like, and I read that, and I was, like, about, like, crying. Like, I'm like, that is awful. She was like, we'll never stop trying. We will never, you know, like, we promised you we would catch him, and we failed. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then this is a quote from Denise's mother. Just shouted like they were at a ball game and their team had won. I think that hit me harder than the verdict itself, which like absolutely just like the lack of just like awareness and respect and just anything of that like audience. Can you call it an audience? I don't even know. They acted like an audience. Yeah. Like they acted like they were fans rooting for the. Yes. For this guy as if he were at their sports team. Yes. I don't have it, but there was a quote that I think it was one of the mothers said that she was just like, it was like a performance, like whoever had the best performance won. And like people like, yeah, it really was. You know, they're just performing, you know, it's mm-hmm. awful. 
just this whole case is just one like awful thing after another. It was so unprofessional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a circus. It really was. And so, uh, like after the verdict, everyone on the prosecution cried. Like the like prosecution like attorney, he just like cried. And you know he was like known for being this like stone faced like big strong man and How he was like lawyers are mm-hmm. and then like in an interview he was like like hell yeah i cried like this hit this case just like got got me like I as it should uh-huh like as it should and he just like yeah i cried and like i'm not ashamed of it and i'm like thank you sir yeah. so after this hart obviously returned to prison to finish out his over 300 year sentence Good. that he deserves but two months later, he died of a heart attack. Oh, great. I, I don't know if this is a... Good behavior, thank God. <laughs> no, I don't know if this is a bum, 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 or a yay, yeah. you know? But it, a lot of the like people that were in support of him, they are like, it's foul play, like, someone killed him. Yeah. But, like, no, it, he died of a heart attack. Like, they did an autopsy, and the medical examiner found, like, blockages in his arteries and stuff, and they are like, mm-hmm. it's definitely a heart attack. But And it happened, like... He went to, like, work out, and then he, like, passed out and died. You know, like, obviously, it's a heart attack. Yeah. And he was, like, I don't know how old he was, but he was pretty old. Probably, like, not pretty old. Like, 40s or 50s. I mean, it's reasonable. Mm-hmm. And so he only did one interview this entire time. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was three days before his death, and it was with the Cherokee Advocate, which is, like, a native publication. I don't know if it's, like, a newspaper or, like, a magazine, but... um. He just, like, revealed that he was in the cabin for months while they were... He watched the manhunt on TV. Like, he watched them searching for him. That's Um, basically uh confessing. Yeah. Like, if you... I don't know. You know, he was, like, escaped, so he obviously didn't want to go to them and be like, I didn't do it, you know? Because then he would, like, be sent back to jail. But also, like, hiding out is just making you even more guilty. Yeah. I don't know. Because if you didn't do it, what reason would you have to hide? Yes, like, hello? I keep saying hello. I It's, like, bad, but I'm just like, hello? Well, that's because the people of the court need a wake-up yes, call. Yes, everyone in this case needs a wake-up call. Seriously. Like, definitely. It's just absolutely absurd. I cannot wrap my head around it. So, like, the aftermath of this case, you know, because it's, unsolved technically i mean it's still open but um in 1989 five like aspects of dna were tested from the scene and three of those matched body fluids taken from heart Mm -hmm. so like only 7,700 american indians would match the samples of fluids so like they're like pretty accurate you know there was something that was, like, how many Native Americans were, like, there. Not 7,700s. Like, you know. So they were, like, he, yes, that is, like, pretty, like, that's pretty hard evidence. But, so, only, because only three of the five matched, it was officially deemed inconclusive. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, so like I said before, you can't, like, determine... A yeah. case out of an assumption, but I still yeah. think that was too much evidence. And yeah. it was enough for, like, what was it, the 70s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so 
I don't remember their names. I didn't write this down because I didn't think it was important. But, like, now that I'm talking about it, it kind of is. So, uh, this, they had another suspect, kind of, like, after the fact. So, this guy had a, like, neighbor in jail. And he was, like, who admitted to killing them. But he died, like, a short time after. And so, like, nothing really ever came of it. They had, like, a couple other suspects, but they were just, like, immediately ruled out just because there wasn't, you know, it just didn't work. So, let's talk about what the family said after. 